When I was a kid, I was a huge Lego fan. Shout out. Um, I had tons of Legos. I had, I had pirate ship Lego collections. I had uh, the space Lego, different, you know, ships and things. I had a monorail that I would set up around the Christmas tree. Lego monorail was like the first one of its kind when I got it, you know, 30 years ago. Um, <clears throat> I just love Legos. But even more than the sets, I love to create uh, my own, you know, buildings and vehicles and especially like planes. And I remember I had this, I had this box, this one box of all of my favorite uh, Lego creations that I would save in the special shoe box. And I had it right in this special place in the shelf, and I would often just kind of like, you know, take those out. But that was like my prized possession. I was so proud of these creations, and I would play with them all the time. And I would move different ones in and out, like, okay, this one is cooler now. I'm going to put that in the box, and oh, this one's neat, you know, all these different things. And I just, I just loved Legos. It was, it was like the thing that I loved. Now that I'm a parent, I see my son kind of doing similar things, just gathering little toys at different times and putting them on his little desk next to his bed at nighttime. And he's like, oh, these are his like most valuable things. These are the things that he really cares about. It's like a string with a golden arrow on it, a little race car. I mean, just like random stuff, right? And this little box that my, my wife gave him to put some of these things in. We all have things that, we, that are precious to us. So I want you to turn to somebody next to you and share something in your life now that is like your prized possession or some things in your childhood that you said, oh man, these were the things that I just loved. Now you got two minutes. Share with someone next to you. All right, got 30 seconds. If you haven't shared yet, you share your thing. All right. We're in a series uh, that we started last week called Love God, Share Life, Proclaim Jesus, which are our core values here at the harbor. It's what we're all about. And we've been asking the question, how do we love God? What does it look like to love God? And this week I want to ask the question, what would be the most precious thing that we have that we could give to God? If there was, if there was one thing that we could give to him, you know, would it be a Lego plane that we made, maybe something that you mentioned, what would it be that would be a most precious gift of ours to give to God, to express to him how we love him? Like the greatest command in the Bible, as Jesus says, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's the, that's the greatest thing you can do. How do we do that? Well, here's what we're going to find today. God feels loved 
when we give him our attention. God feels loved when we give him one of those five love languages, quality time. And in fact, that's what God is longing for, I believe, more than anything else. is just our attention. To see this, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 5. It's kind of a funny passage. Maybe you'll figure it out when we get to the end. It's obvious, but it might seem funny in the beginning. Luke chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 12. All right, Luke 5, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. There's your crash course in healing. Healing 101, right there. Just be clean. Boom. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now Jesus had an amazing ministry. Okay, this was like no one else around or no one else throughout history. Sure, Elijah and Elisha performed some miracles, but they were kind of numbered in terms of how many there were. And, and it's interesting that Elisha does about, he does double of everything that Elijah does, at least what's recorded. But Jesus is healing everybody. So much so that crowds are just flocking to him. Right? It's like a free all-you-can-eat buffet. Right? People will travel miles. It's like Halloween at Chipotle. Throw in a suit, you get a cheap burrito, boom, the line is out the door, right? And that's why Jesus tells this guy not to tell anyone because he's just, he's just being mobbed everywhere he goes. Now, this particular healing is really interesting. Uh, leprosy was a word for a number of different skin conditions in that time. And what would happen if someone had something like this is they would have to live outside of the community. It was part of the Mosaic law. And part of that reason was just to, to keep the spread of these diseases down. But for that person, it was a major loss for two reasons. One is because they had to be separated from their family and community. Father, mother, wife, husband, even children, right? They had to live outside and away from those, those family and friends. And secondly, the law said that they couldn't go into the temple to worship. So not only were they cut off from community, but they were also cut off from this way that they were given to relate to God through this temple system. That was where the presence of God dwelled. Jesus, so interestingly, would have become unclean in touching this man. Instead, of course, the man is healed, so Jesus doesn't touch a leper because he's not a leper as soon as he touches him, right? Right? Jesus is, is in show, showing this incredible love and power through this ministry. He's willing to be, potentially become unclean by touching this man, or, or even worse, get the disease on himself, but instead the man is healed. And so, of course, people, right, are flocking from all over to see him. 
And even more, this, this, just to mention this, this is one of the four signs that the Jews were looking for that they would know that someone was the Messiah is if he healed a leper because they considered anyone that was a leper to be cursed of God. They called leprosy the finger of God. All this is just to say his ministry is incredible. Power to heal. He's got love for people. He's restoring them into community, into relationship with God. He's obviously doing lots of preaching and sharing the truth. And yet... He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Why did Jesus do that? Think about all the people that there were in that whole region that were sick and needed healing. Think about all the people that had not heard the good news of the kingdom preached to them. I mean, gosh, he could have maybe traveled to India, healed some people there, maybe tried to make his way up you know, around the Mediterranean Sea and healed some people in, you know, in Europe. He's taking time out to pray. And why does Jesus have to do that? He's God. Who's he praying to, right? There's so many people in need. Jesus is withdrawing from them. The one who is the answer to every problem is himself withdrawing from the people. The the, the cure for every disease, the truth for every lie, right? The healing for every soul that's been wounded and hurt by others. It's Jesus. And yet, and yet, he is withdrawing. Why would he do that? Isn't that that a little selfish? Come on, Jesus, there's people going to hell here. Let's go, let's get the gospel going, right? Jesus, his primary calling was prayer. Meaning Jesus, just like every other person, was called to love God first. To love God the Father through the Holy Spirit. He was called to relate to God and connect with him and enjoy him and do life with him before anything else. That was his primary calling. Prayer, if you read through the Gospels, has a central place in his life. All through the Gospels, we always find him praying, always find him talking to the Father. He says that he only says what he hears the Father saying, right? He only does what he sees the Father doing. We hear, he teaches about prayer in the Lord's Prayer. We get this amazing window into this prayer conversation with God the Father in John 17. It's called the High Priestly Prayer. I mean, it just seems like it's highlighted above every other spiritual discipline in the life of Jesus. Sure, he fasted, right? He, he, was, he knew the Bible well, right? He's quoting scripture. Sure, he studied all growing up. But through his ministry, we just find him praying. Jesus knew he had a mission to accomplish, but there was something more foundational than the mission, which was his relationship to God. And surprisingly, for many of us, we find it surprising to believe this. It also came from a place of need. Jesus needed to stay connected to his Father in order to accomplish his mission. There was no other way to do it. We often, you know, from a Western viewpoint, the Western church often emphasizes that Jesus was the Son of God. He was God. Whereas usually the Eastern church emphasizes Jesus' humanity. And so we've lost a little bit of that. We forget that Jesus laid aside, right? He humbled himself, became a man, fully a man. Obviously, he's still fully God, but he experienced life the way that we do. 
It says that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And he grew as a person. And so he did everything. All of his miracles were not done. I'm Jesus. Booyah. You're healed. No, it was through the power of the Holy Spirit in connection to God the Father. Right? We cannot bring the kingdom of God if we are not connected to the king. The mission is only accomplished through a life of connection with God. Now, animals are good at this. Bees, right? If you know anything about bees, it's actually really, there's really complex. I was down in Texas uh, for a pastor's retreat a couple years ago, and on this ranch in Texas where they had all kinds of stuff, you know, they, they're killing wild boars and serving them up, and then they're, you know, there's horses around, and, you know, it's total Texas, right? Well, they had, a, they had a beehive that they were keeping, a couple of them. And so the guy went over there that was keeping, he was the, he was the beekeeper. He had to go to bee school to actually learn about how to keep these bees. Very complicated. I don't know a whole lot about it. There's obviously different kinds of bees. There's the queen bee that lays all the eggs, and then there's the worker bees that gather the honey, and there's different bees that do things in the, in the honeycomb and all that stuff. And there's the males. Their only job is to fly around and mate with the queen. So there you go, males. That's your only usefulness, I guess. The point of this is that, right, bees just do what they do, what they know to do. They, 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 they do what they were created to do. They fly around. They gather the nectar. But incidentally, as they do that, they pollinate all of the plants. Right? You saw the Jerry Seinfeld movie, right? If they stop collecting the nectar right, and making the honey, all the plants would die in the world. Right? They have to be pollinated. And they need carriers to take the pollination, you know, to fertilize the plants and all that stuff. Okay, this is in high school biology. I'll move on. But they, and they, they accomplish an amazing mission, if you will, just by being who they are made to be. It's the same for you and me, right? We have a mission. It's to make disciples of all nations and to bring heaven to earth, right? To reform every part of society, to bring justice and righteousness. As the Old Testament constantly the prophets proclaimed, right? Justice and righteousness would flow on the earth. And we do that by making disciples. But we were actually created for something greater, guys. That mission will one day be accomplished, and we will get to say, mission accomplished. The world looks like heaven, and all nations know Jesus. But there's one thing we will do forever, and that is to love God, to live in connection with him, to enjoy him forever. That is truly why we exist and why God made us, to enjoy relationship with us. But when we do that, the mission just flows out of us. So if you want to minister like Jesus, you have to pray like Jesus. So how did Jesus pray? What do we know about the prayer life of Jesus? Well, here's the first thing that this little verse says. It says that Jesus withdrew to lonely places. Jesus gave God the Father exclusive, undivided attention. He gave him quality time. Now, he may have had to take some steps that were uncomfortable to do this. In Luke 6, one chapter later, we hear Jesus, before he chose the 12 disciples, it says he went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed all night long. Ain't easy to stay awake all night, especially if you're praying, right? That's uncomfortable. 
Mark 1.35, it says this, Very early in the morning when it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He's getting one-on-one time with God. Jade and I celebrated seven years of marriage a couple weeks ago. Yeah, one clap. There you go. And so for our anniversary, we went out to breakfast at the Ipswich Inn Bed and Breakfast, which was where we had our rehearsal dinner. We got a great little breakfast spot, and then we, we spent the first night of our honeymoon there before we went up to and stayed in Vermont. And so we took the kids there in the morning for breakfast just to kind of reminisce a little bit and, um, you know, enjoy being there. That was great. It was fun. But the real, the real deal was that night when we got a date away from the kids, right, for like an hour and a half. It was awesome, right? We went to the old heart house in Ipswich. We had a lovely meal, just the two of us. And it's just amazing, right, that one-on-one time, what that does for a relationship. When we desire a stronger connection with someone, we don't invite a third person into that, into that mix. When I'm getting together with an old friend, I don't want to invite somebody else because I want to hear what's going on in their life. I want to get coffee with that person. I want to chat. We want to connect. Right? Something important about that quality time piece, giving God our undivided attention. Now, we talked about gifts in the beginning. And I would argue that your attention is the most precious gift that you could give God. My son Samuel is four years old, and uh, he's just kind of doing four-year-old boy things. You know, he's got a strong will. He's exercising that at times. Often wants to do things his way, surprisingly, right? And I was just processing the Lord, like, God, what does Samuel need? You know, what does he need? And I feel like the Lord said, Brian, he needs, he needs more of your attention. He needs more of your attention. This is the most precious thing we have. We can give somebody our time, but not really engage with them and give them space in our heart. We can be spending time with someone, but be thinking about other things the entire time that we're with them. Attention is both time and space. Space in our hearts, space in our minds. When we're looking at someone, we're actually listening to what they're saying. We're not just thinking about our own world. We're giving them space to take their world into ours. That is what God values more than anything else because he values you more than anything else. He wants, above all else, a relationship with you. One where you can hear him and he can hear you, where you can enjoy connecting with him. A relationship that is delightful and awesome and exciting. This is what Jesus paid for on the cross. God went to that length to get your attention. Now it says, secondly, in this passage, Jesus did this often. This was a regular pattern for Jesus. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Spending time with God, the Father, through the Holy Spirit, just noticeable aspect of his life. You could pick up his, his calendar and see, oh wow, Jesus likes to pray. Okay, he probably didn't carry it on a calendar, right? What would Jesus do when he was alone with God? How did Jesus pray once he was there? Well, I see in the Gospels three main things that we see from the prayer life of Jesus. The first, I would say, is absolutely revolutionary. And it's only three letters. 
Well, in English. Dad. It's dad. There's only a few times in the Old Testament that God is referred to as father, and often it refers to just kind of the whole people of Israel. We fathered them through the desert, things like that. Jesus comes on the scene and starts praying and talking to God and referring to him as his Abba. Now, I don't know Aramaic. I'm guessing most of you don't either. But even the sound of that word, you can hear the affection behind it. It's not the equivalent of our word father. It's way too formal. It's an intimate word. It does have an element of respect in it. But it's also one that a child would call their father. Abba, 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 Papa, Dada. It's the, I don't think that's a coincidence that those things sound kind of the same because those are the simple words that little children can say. This is a revolutionary prayer life that Jesus had. He referred to God as Dad. What audacity to call the God of the universe, the creator of the world, Daddy. Can you feel some of that in your own life? I feel it. I've been trying to call dad for a long, God dad for a long time. And doing it especially in front of other people often just feels a little bit presumptuous. But that is exactly the angle Jesus is pushing. God is our dad. He has made us his children through the work of Jesus. Jesus brought that relationship that we can have with God to the world. Guys, I had this insight this morning. This isn't like, the, you know, from the Bible or anything, but I sense that, that there's something to it. Every time we refer to God as dad, it is an act of spiritual warfare. It is a declaration of the gospel. That because of Jesus, because of what he's done, living this sinless life, walking before God, showing us what it looks like to live justly, to do righteousness and good to people, to live in connection with God, and then because of that he gets crucified for it, but through his death, God brings forgiveness of sin as he puts all the sin in the world onto Jesus and forgives all those that would put their trust in him. Jesus brings us into relationship with God our dad. The one that we are created to know, the one that our hearts are always calling out for. The missing piece that's in every person's life, a relationship with God as their dad. The one who affectionately calls to them, who is kind and compassionate to them. Slow to anger. Dad. There's one thing that I want to challenge you with today and leave with today. It's that. Start referring to God as dad. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. It breaks something open in our hearts to receive the fullness of what Jesus gave to us.
Early one Sunday morning, a few months ago, I had gotten up early. It's kind of my habit on Sunday to get up pretty early and just kind of work on the sermon. And, and I usually pray for a little while before that, just kind of talking to the Lord. And one Sunday, I was just exhausted. I mean, I just, I just, I couldn't get the Bible open. You know, it's hard to, you know, start writing in a journal. Man, I was just as tired. I was like, God, I just can't do that. So I just sat on the couch and just said the word dad over and over again. Dad. Oh, daddy, I'm here. Dad, you're my dad. Did that for like 20 minutes. And I just have to say, like, I felt, I felt the affection of the Lord in that moment. And I felt that God felt affection from me. He had my attention. I didn't have a lot of mental capacity to be thinking through theological issues or reading the Bible and, like, examining, okay, what does this mean? I just didn't have that, but it was okay. Just was kind of sitting in Papa's lap, just saying, Dad, just like a little two-year-old that can just start to talk would do. It's not a complicated thing to give our attention to God, but it is a challenging thing. Because in our world, especially in this 21st century, or some of you that are starting college now, right? Cell phones have always existed in your lifetime. Right? There's constantly things competing for our attention. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He knew that that's what he was created for. And it's, he knew that that's what his own heart was longing for. And he knew that that was the only way that he would be able to accomplish his mission. So here's a simple acronym for, gosh, okay, I want to set some time aside. I want to spend some time with Jesus. The way that I can love God is giving him my undivided attention at different points in my day. What do I do? I mean, there's a bazillion answers to that question, right? Spiritual disciplines, contemplative tradition, right? Intercession, worship, I mean, you name it. There's a million things that you could do. Gratitude, <clears throat> Here's a little handy acronym for four things that I think are, are helpful. WWJD. Okay? Worship, word, journal, declarations. You got it? If you've never spent any time with God before, some people call it a quiet time or, you know, some people call it face time, and there's a lot of ways that, I just call it, hey, prayer. Spend some time in prayer. Okay, that includes looking at the Bible. Put on a worship song, right? Go to YouTube, search worship songs. There's millions of them that people want you to click on so they can get paid money, right? Put some worship music on and just enjoy singing to God or just let it soak. Just sit there and you don't have to do anything. Just try to focus your thoughts on God. Imagine what he looks like as you're singing. Imagine the throne room of God that Isaiah saw, Right? Use your imagination, but worship the Lord. That's obviously what we talked about last week. The other piece of, of it, just calling, you know, appreciation. God loves it when we appreciate it. The Word. Open the Bible, right? Pick up the book of the Bible this month and say, all right, I'm going to read through this book as many times as I can get through. Start with Philemon. Great. You can get through it in one day, and you can say, yes, I read through a whole book of the Bible this month. Awesome, right? Okay? Open the Psalms, right? Read, just, just read a little, some sections of the Bible. If the one-year Bible helps you, just find a way to get into it. Talk to somebody that you know that's a little further on their journey of how you can get into the Word, right? 
It's giving God your attention. You're focusing on the Bible. It's giving me your attention. It is, you are loving God anytime you do that. And he loves it so much. Journaling. This is a high value of ours here at the harbor. We believe that every believer can hear God's voice. The prophecy in Joel 2 that Peter references on the day of Pentecost, it says your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. Meaning they will hear God's voice and be able to communicate it. We believe that that's the right of every believer as Peter references in Acts 2. And so we believe you can ask God questions and wait and learn to hear responses. It takes time to learn to hear God's voice. But man, there is nothing more delightful than hearing a direct word from God for your life right from Him. And as we studied in our last series, oftentimes it's as simple as, you know, Brian, I really love you. I'm with you today. Oftentimes it's things that the Bible's already written, but you just hear God saying it with your name in the blank. If you're interested in learning how to journal, you're a college student, talk to your college leaders. They're pros. Okay? They hear from God. It's awesome. Declaration. Okay? WWJD. Declare the truth over yourself that you know from the Scripture for that day. I'm feeling discouraged today, but you know what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Man, I don't feel very good about myself. I am a child of God. Right? All the different things that God speaks about us. Man, I can't believe I messed up again. My sin is washed clean. It's separated from me as far as the east is from the west. I am as white as snow. I have the righteousness of Jesus on me today. I'm speaking the Bible, declaring truth over myself. Okay? That is powerful. Obviously, there's a ton of other things. You can pray for people in your life. You can make a list. There's a lot of things you can do. All of that to say, it doesn't have to be complicated to give God your attention. And the other thing I'll just throw in there at the end is we can also do this during our day. I believe there's something really powerful about getting um, undivided attention to God. That's really a special place of intimacy, and we see it in the life of Jesus. A special way that we can love on God by giving Him our time. It's like you will with a date night or or an old friend. We can also try to attune ourselves to what God is doing throughout our day. And again, One way that I do this is actually just by saying that word, Dad, as many times as I can throughout my day. Because it turns my thoughts back to God. That I'm not just walking through my life by myself, thinking my own thoughts, but I'm recognizing that God is always present. He is always speaking. And if I give Him my attention, I will receive love from Him. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And I've got one question for you to process in response, and then we're going to take communion together. You guys ready to respond? Come on, try to activate this. Church is not a spectator sport. I know you've got to listen to me for 25 minutes, but or maybe it was longer than that. <clears throat> this is the question I want to give you. I'm going to give you a couple minutes just to ask this, and I just want you to wait and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Actually, I'll do that part. I'll ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. You ask the question. And just wait for the next thought that comes into your mind. If it doesn't sound loving or it doesn't agree with anything in the Bible, toss it out and ask again. Okay? Because if it doesn't agree with the Bible, it ain't God. I want you to ask this simple question. God, what is the next step that you are asking me to take in giving you my attention? Okay? The band's going to play. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to ask, you ask that question to God. We'll give you a couple minutes just to Wait, 
Maybe see what the Lord's saying to you. What's the next step for me to take in giving you my attention? Okay? So, Lord, thank you that you're here and you desire uh, a relationship with us. We want to give you our attention, God. Holy Spirit, I just invite you to speak to us now in our hearts as we ask you this question. What's the next step you're asking us to take? Thank you, Daddy. We love you.